hands and let's love him all across this building. Come on, would you lift up your voice and cry aloud to the Lord. Hallelujah, God Almighty. Thank you, Jesus, for the love wherewith you loved us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were not worthy, you made us worthy by your blood and by your sacrifice. When we were not righteous, no matter how hard we tried, you brought your sacrifice and made us righteous. Somebody love him all across this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn open to the book of Psalms, chapter 51, verse number 10. Hallelujah. It's good to see everyone in the house of the Lord here this afternoon. As we flew back in yesterday, there was snow on the tarmac. And I thought, we just skipped fall altogether. But I'm glad that it's always a little warmer here in Carson City. Amen. It's just that revival fire burning. Hallelujah. Heating up the atmosphere. Psalms chapter 51 and verse number 10. David is writing and he says this familiar passage of Scripture. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And then I'm going to teach transgressor thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. I want to preach to us for a few moments on this subject. Rewind. Rewind. Would you set down your Bibles and let's pray all across this building. Come on, let's pray for God to hit the rewind button in our lives. Hallelujah. Come on, would you lift up your voice? I believe that's what's going to happen here today. God's just going to... Hit that rewind in somebody's heart, in somebody's life. Hallelujah, would you pray right now? Jesus, we give you glory and honor and praise. Hallelujah, we worship you, Jesus. We love you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, let's clap our hands and give him a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Rewind. The life of David is perhaps one of the most studied subjects in the Bible. I know for myself it is something that I have endeavored to read over and over and over again. And every time I look into the life of David, something new will jump out and it will just get a hold of me. Uh, because there's, there's so many different, uh, looking into the life of David, it, it, it becomes, uh, it just becomes a whole kaleidoscope. Amen. You can, you just turn it just a little bit and then you will see it through another perspective. David was many things, 
We could say to his father that David was a good son. To the sheep, David was the good shepherd. To the nation, David was a hero. To Goliath, David was the conqueror that would destroy him. But to God, when there was one definition that was going to be placed over the life of David, it was not his accolades. It was not his failures. But it was his relationship towards God. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but if there's anything ever placed on my life by God, I don't want people to say he was a great preacher. I really, I know that some people would love to be known as a great soloist, a great singer, a great musician, but I've made it up in my mind that if there was one thing that I was going to have on the tombstone, when I die and I go away, I want people to say that this was somebody that was after God's own heart. How about you? Now, we can look at that two different ways. Number one, he was a man that was patterned after God's heart, that when we were to look at David, he was a representation of the heart of God here on earth because he was like God. He was a good shepherd because he was a defender of people, a defender of the nations. He was a gatherer of those that were in debt, distressed, and those were, were perplexed. He was one that could gather those that were hurting and broken. We could see that he was a man that was patterned just like God. This is one reason why I believe that God chose to come through the lineage of David, that God looked at David's life and said, uh, I want to be known when I show up in human form uh, as the son uh, of David. He didn't say, I'm the son of Moses uh, or the son of Abraham. Uh, he didn't say, I'm the son of Joshua or Jacob. Uh, he said, I am the son uh, of David. David because he wanted people to know uh, that as David was a defender, uh, Jesus Christ showed up and said, I'm the defender. Oh, come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Amen. But it was not just the patterning after God's own heart, but I think we can look at that very literally, that David was a man that was after God's heart. He was a man that was running as hard as he could, uh, trying to get himself uh, into the presence of God. A man that was chasing as hard as he could uh, after God's heart. I, I don't want to just be the pattern and the representation of God's heart. I want to be the kind of person that is running as hard as I can. I'm not chasing accolades, and I'm not chasing some position, but I am chasing, and I am running because I've got to grab a hold of the heart of God. I've got to have a relationship with God Almighty. Oh, somebody lift up your hands and let's worship him. It was this David that we can see that he was running after God's heart because while his brothers were off playing soldier, hiding behind rocks, amen, hiding in their armor and serving the king of Israel. David was on the backside of a mountain just doing what his dad told him to do, and he was taking care of the sheep. But it went beyond that for David. This was not just a job. This was not just a task. But for David, this was an opportunity for him to spend time with God. 
Amen. He wasn't afraid of being out there by himself. Isolation never bothered David because David didn't look at it as a as an error, amen, in life. He didn't look at it as a flaw of life. But David looked at it as a wonderful opportunity. I don't got to go and do what the king's telling me to do right now. I don't have all these tasks on my life. I'm not so busy and everything going on. I have the opportunity just to spend time with God. I have a I have a chance to be all by myself with God. Oh, somebody love him all across this building. Come on, we can get so busy, we miss out on our opportunities to spend time with God. We can complain about what we have going on, or we can say, God, thank you for the opportunity to spend more time with you. David could have said this is a menial task and I'm not happy about it. My brothers get a wheeled swords and all I got is a sling and a snow. My brothers, they got trumpets and all I got is this stupid little harp. But David didn't look at that, amen, as something negative. But David began to look at that as his opportunity to get closer to God. And it was there on the backside of the mountain that David did just that. David started writing poetry and love songs to his God. It is David that would write, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David's sitting out there looking at the sheep and saying, Oh, there's nobody like God. Amen. He is the one that supplies my every need. He is the one. Amen. When I am connected with God, he makes my cup run over. When I am connected with God, he's the good shepherd that will cause me to lay down in green pastures. He'll lead me beside still waters. Amen. When I submit myself and live for God, there's so much joy and there's so much peace and there's so much tranquility. It is this David that is on the backside of the mountain that will look up towards the heavens and say, when I consider the heavens and the work of your hands and your fingers, and, and I begin to look at all that God has done and all that God has made, he looks up to the mountaintops and the mountain peaks and begins to think to himself, oh my goodness, amen, we serve a good God. We serve a, a magnificent God. I'm just, I'm just not important enough, but yet God doesn't view it that way. God is here on the backside of the mountain with David, and he's talking with him and he's walking with him and he's leading him and he's guiding him because David wanted God's heart. God didn't withhold it from him. God brought his heart down to the backside of the mountain. God showed his glory to David. Oh, somebody worship him. It was David that though he was on the backside of the mountain begins to prophesy without even knowing what prophecy is. And he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. And he is looking forward. And the, late, the Bible would later declare that that verse was talking about Jesus. Amen. David didn't realize it, but just going after God's heart, he started getting revelation. Can I help somebody that is trying to figure out where they are in life and trying to figure out what they're supposed to be in God? If you just run after God's heart, he'll start giving you revelation. He'll start giving you understanding. He'll start giving you revelation. He'll start speaking into your life and blessing you beyond imagination. David is looking forward and he sees in a far off this place and he sees that there's God. And he, he doesn't understand what he's seeing, but he writes it down and begins to begins to write that, that, that there's going to come a day, amen, where all of the enemies are going to be under the feet of God's people, amen, and we know that through Jesus Christ, amen, we have the ability, Jesus comes and he puts all things under his feet, and as long as we are seated together with him, hallelujah. 
I'm coming to tell somebody as long as we're seated together with Christ, Jesus in heavenly places, all the things you're facing. Guess what? If it's under his feet when you're seated with him, it's under your feet as well. But my Bible says the God of peace shall crush Satan under under your feet when you find a place at God's throne and when it's seated come on when you find that seated position everything you've been facing everything you've been fighting it's gotta it's gotta go under your feet somebody shout and give God praise hallelujah David's looking forward and he's seeing all these things not fully understanding it and then David decides, you know, as the process of time, we understand the story. I, won't, I don't have time to go into it. But this is the story of David. His life begins to progress. No longer is he a shepherd. Now he is, now he is playing songs for the king. Now he's no longer playing songs for the king. He's an armor bearer for the king and making sure he takes care of the king. And now he's back to the sheep because that's how the process of life is. It doesn't always just, amen, go forward, forward, forward. Sometimes it takes you forward and you go two steps backwards. But now he's in the sheep taking care of him. His dad sends him on a, a task to take cheese and bread to his brothers. But there on the battlefield, uh, Goliath begins to cry out his, his demands and begins to cry out his challenge. And though David David was not prepared, and though David was not enlisted in the army, it is this little boy that decides, I'm going to do something about it. And he runs down that mountain, and he's got that sling. That sling that everybody would have mocked because it wasn't the sword that his brothers were carrying. No armor, just a shepherd's crook. Didn't have a lot going for him, but yet he knew what he was coming. I've come to you in the name of the Lord. Can I preach to somebody? You don't have to have a lot. All you got to have is the name of the Lord, and it is a strong tower. You don't have to have all the armor of Saul. You don't have to have a nice, bright, shiny, sharp sword. Honey, all you got to have is the name of the Lord, and you can face any giant. You can face any battle. David slings that stone, knocks that giant down, cuts his head off. David overnight becomes a hero. David begins to be enlisted in the army. Now he is a captain of the host. He is running battles for Saul. But Saul hears that David has, that Saul has slayed his thousands and David has slayed his ten thousands. You got to understand something about Saul. All he cares about his image. All he cares about is position. As long as he's number one, that's all that matters. you got to be careful of that attitude, that as long as you're number one, you'll be all right. Amen. But what Saul didn't understand is what it was being said was not that David is better, but because Saul has slayed his thousands, it has opened the doorway. When people are better than you, greater than you, you ought to just let them be because it's because of the groundwork that was laid that Saul slayed his thousands, that there's now an opportunity for David to rise up and be a greater champion. And Saul doesn't like this. The Bible says he eyed him from that day forward. There's some people like that, that when you start doing well, they start eyeballing you. They, in fact, Saul didn't even notice David before. 
But the minute that people started noticing him, Saul started noticing him. And all of a sudden, he starts throwing spears at David. And David's on the run. And, and David thought, I was just trying to be a good, a good young man. I just wanted to love God. And I just wanted to do this and do that. And yet, the enemy will not allow. And carnal, carnal people and carnal flesh will not allow. Amen. It comes by and it begins to throw spear after spear. And David's dodging. And David's fighting. And David runs into a cave all by himself. There he is. Long story short, Saul dies. David becomes king. David's finally, after 20 years, got what he was anointed to be. Who would have thought it would have taken so long to get where he was supposed to be? David was not ready for every battle, for every spear thrown. David wasn't ready for every negative thing that was going to happen. Amen. But God knew it was going to take every last bit of this to get David where he wants to be. Can I preach to the church for just a moment? You thought you would just show up and arrive one day, but that's not how it works, honey. Sometimes you got to go through struggle after struggle. And when you get there, all of a sudden it will start to connect. It'll start to make sense. Somebody praise him. Come on, somebody clap your hands and worship him. Hallelujah. David did not anticipate, expect all of this. And now David's finally gone through all of this stuff. And he's finally ready to sit down on the throne and relax. Because he finally got there. Finally got money in the bank that he didn't have all those years. Finally got a position that he did not have all of those years. Finally found himself in a place of comfort. Mm -hmm, I'm going to preach to somebody here this, this afternoon. He finally got himself to where he'd been wanting to get all this time, and now there's not the struggle that he had before. He's not running, amen, from Saul. He's not running into battle after battle after battle. He's finally able to sit back and take a breather. The Bible says there was a day when kings go forth to battle, but David decided to stay at home. David decided to kick it back and relax in his castle on his throne and hang out. Can I tell you the most dangerous place for anybody, any child of God is when it's time to fight, when it's time for revival, when it's time for battle. The worst thing you could ever do for your family or for your church or for your city or for your nation is to hang back. The worst thing we could ever do is sit back and go into cruise mode. The worst thing we could do is hang back and get comfortable. Oh, somebody lift up your hands for just a moment. Come on, somebody pray right here and right now. We just came out of an awesome revival services, but I've come to tell you it's not time to get comfortable. It's not time to hang back. It's not time to take a nap. Amen. It's not time to chill out. It's time to go to war. It's time to go to battle because that's what David was created for. David was created for battle. He was created. He said, you teach my fingers to war. And David understood, I didn't go through boot camp. It was God that taught me. I didn't have the right training or the right last name. It was God 
that anointed me and he was the one that gifted me and skilled me and helped me to become and there David decides instead of fulfilling his purpose to fight for the nation to fight for the sheep like he used to he decides to hang back and let them fend for themselves David lost his purpose David lost his focus David lost what God had called him to be No longer a shepherd, he's king. No longer a warrior, he's king. No longer a conqueror. And David decides that night to look up from his balcony. And he sees a woman by the name of Bathsheba. He takes her for himself. She tells him she's pregnant. There's some real stuff in the Bible, folks. You don't need soap operas. (laughs) Some real people in the Bible. I want you to know this is a man after God's own heart. I think we missed that. I think we want to disconnect the David and Goliath story from the David and Bathsheba story. Mm-hmm. We want to do that with other people as well. But the same David that slew Goliath is the same David that fell to Bathsheba. And here he is. He's in a position. He's compromised himself. Uh, and now he takes and brings back her husband from the war. But he's more of a noble man. He is a mighty man of valor. Uh, he decides, I'm going to send him back with his own death note. He goes back to the battle. And there he dies because of the order of the king. So now David is an adulterer and a murderer. Did you know that's in your Bible? An adulterer. And a murderer, but he's still king. He's still got his position. He's still got his authority. And here, David is in a position uh, where the Bible says that he he decides to put it away and, and he brings Bathsheba to himself and, and they get married and, and the child dies and, and yet they're still married. He's trying his best to cover up. Uh, you see this man who was one point after God's own heart uh, is now in a position where he is hiding from God. Uh, he is trying to avoid God. Uh, for one full year, uh, David is not writing songs. For one full year, David is not praying. Uh, David but it's not going back to the law and reading it. He already knows what it says. And everything that he's done, everything that he's become is in direct opposition to the very words in that law. And David knows it. Has anybody ever been there? You know I've done something wrong. He said this in his psalms. He starts writing, this is not a love song to God. This is a moment, a poem of pain. He says, my bones were raging all day long. There was no soundness in my flesh. I I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. There was nothing I could do. He said, I I tried to hide myself. I've done everything I can. Amen. David would put it this way. Oh, Lord, rebuke me not in your wrath. Neither chase me in your hot displeasure. Your arrows stick fast in me, and my hand presseth me sore. I'm the one that's, I'm bringing condemnation on myself because of my sins. You, You don't have to do it to me. I've already got it covered. Uh, Amen. He said, there's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Uh, There's no rest to my bones because of my sin. Uh, My iniquities are gone over my head uh, as a heavy burden and they are too heavy for me. Uh, David spent an entire season of his life, uh, amen, declaring, uh, there is no escape for me. Uh, There is no hope for me. Uh, There is no help for me. Uh, I've come to tell you that this is where a lot of people live their lives. 
lives. They, they, they don't look back on all the good times. They don't look back on all the things they've done right. All they can see is everything they've done wrong, and it haunts them day and night, day and night. Oh, somebody lift up your hands and let's pray. I came to preach to somebody here today. This is where we are. This is where some folks are at. This is why some folks can't move forward in God. They're too busy, amen, being trapped by the here and now of the failures of yesterday. Oh, somebody pray. Somebody pray. Hallelujah. David is, David is there, and he understands I have sinned, and I have made mistakes. And there is no hope for me. But then David begins to write in Psalm chapter 51. Have mercy upon me, O God. This is after the prophet Nathan came to him. And finally, when he would not speak to God, can I tell you guys some good news here today? When he would not speak to God, God sent a prophet to speak to him. When he would not pray to God, when he would not worship God, God sent forth a man of God to begin to talk to him and begin to prophesy to him and to begin to pray for him. And it was after this moment, David finally for the first time opened up his sins, opened up his errors, opened up his mistakes, and David hit his knees and began to pray again. David hit his knees and began to repent. David hit his knees and said, Lord, have mercy on me, O God, according to to your loving kindness please don't look on me based on my failures don't look on me based on my mistakes but have mercy on me based on your loving kindness your tender mercies please blot out my transgressions wash me from my iniquities amen he said against you and you only have I sinned he begins to tell him I know my condition I was shaping iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me he said purge me Make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken might rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David is saying, I know I've done wrong. I know I deserve punishment. I know I deserve judgment. But Lord, if you could blot out my sins and my transgressions. Amen. I know about your loving kindness. I know about your mercy. Can I remind somebody what the preacher said on Wednesday? Amen. That God's mercies are powerful. When God washes you, when God purges you, when God cleanses you, you can trust in God's forgiveness. You can trust in God's goodness. You can trust in God's grace. And then David says this, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David is saying something that if we were to look at the text, we would miss it. But if you were to look a little deeper, David is going back to the book of Leviticus and he's pulling on to something. He's looking back on that law he studied as a kid and he's trying to grab something, a concept. Amen. We would say, yes, just restore. Just, just give it back. Because in our generation, that's just... Just a, a common phrase, but not to David. David understood what he was praying. David was looking back in Leviticus chapter 25, and he's looking at a concept that we would call jubilee. 
Leviticus 25 and 9, the Bible says, Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the tenth of day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement you shall make the trumpet of sound throughout your, all your land, and you shall hollow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land under the inhabitants thereof. And it shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall... Get ready for this. Return or restore every man unto his possession, and you shall return or restore every man unto his family. So here's what happens. Everybody has messed up. Everybody's maybe gone into debt through these last 50 years. Every 50 years is the year of Jubilee. It is a year of restoration. It is the year, amen, in which you can have things returned to you that you thought were gone forever. There are people that through the years fell on hard times, maybe made some bad mistakes and some bad deals. Amen, and life is taking its toll. And one by one, they sold off their cattle. They sold off their house. They sold off their possessions. And yes, even some of them have sold themselves into indentured servitude. And for the next 50 years, they will serve as bondmen and bondwomen. They are slaves. They were meant to be children of God, but here they are. They are slaves. But the Bible is declaring that there is a year in which there is restoration. There is a year in which God will press the rewind button. There is a year where regardless of what you lost, regardless of what you sold, regardless of how the last 50 years of your life have been, God will press that rewind button throughout all the land. And whatever possession that was taken or sold, it's got to be restored back to the man or the woman. And Every individual that was sold off has got to be rewinded, has got to be restored back to their free condition. Oh, somebody love him. Somebody clap your hands. If anybody remembers the day when it doesn't matter what you did wrong, God said, I'm going to click that rewind button in your life, and I'm going to take you back to the moment of freedom. doesn't matter what you lost and what you sold. I'm going to restore it to you. Somebody lift up your hands and let's pray. Somebody pray all across this building for just a moment. Today's going to be a day in which somebody gets some things restored to them. There's going to be a restoration. God is going to restore. There's going to be a sound move throughout this house. And it's going to be the rewind of your life. It's going to be the moment when God goes all the way back to when you sold it. And it's going to be like you never lost it in the first place. Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 25. It begins to give a description of the people that will be blessed by this law of Jubilee. That if thy brother be waxen poor and sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. So if you've got a rich brother... He can pay back and buy back what you sold. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was the firstborn among many brethren. You don't got the money to pay for it, but I want to tell you about a man by the name of Jesus. You got a rich brother that can redeem, that can repay, that can rebuild, that can restore. But if the man have none to redeem it and himself 
Maybe you get enough money in your bank where you can do it. Let him count the years of the sale thereof. And restore the overplus to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But this is where most people live. But if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee it shall go out, and he shall return unto him his possession. Hallelujah. I came to preach to somebody. He said, if you don't got the money, if you don't got the resources, all you got to do is wait until this 50th year. And regardless of your financial circumstance, regardless of what's in your spiritual bank account, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what's going on in your life, that at that 50th year, at the trumpet of Jubilee, all of a sudden that person that owned your possession has got to come back with the deed of your property as if you never sold it off, as if you never lost it. Somebody lift up your hands. Let's stand across the building and let's pray. Come on, somebody lift up your hands. Come on, this year of Jubilee for most people was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But I've come to tell you that through the Holy Ghost, you can have a Jubilee every single day. Oh, somebody pray. Somebody pray. Come on, if you can't repay, if you can't purchase it back, I've come to tell you, amen, there's a God that is in this house that will buy it for you. There's a God in this house that will restore it without money. Here's, here's what David's saying. He's saying, Lord, you know I can't go back and fix my mistakes. Can I just help somebody? There is no such thing as a time machine. You can't go back to 20. But not just that. David wasn't just struggling with mistakes. David was saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's possible, and can I just tell the church this? It's possible to live for God for so many years. Through many struggles, through many trials and troubles, amen, that, 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 that we become depleted in so many different ways and we start selling away things God has determined should be ours forever. You know why God instituted the law of Jubilee? Because he didn't want anybody in his land, amen, any of his people to not have an inheritance, to not have a possession, to not have, amen, the blessings of God. And here is David. He's saying, I sold away my joy. I don't know where it was. Maybe it's when I hit the throne. Maybe it's when I got into too many fights with the Philistines. Maybe it was when I got with Bathsheba and killed her husband. Maybe it was in that year when I was hiding from God. But somewhere, God, I lost something. I sold it away. I gave it away. And, Lord, I want you to forgive me. Yes, that's what I prayed for. But beyond just being forgiven, I lost some joy. I lost, I lost the why of coming to church. I lost the joy of lifting my hands willingly. Somewhere along the lines, David lost the joy of writing love songs to God. 
Somewhere David lost the joy of just serving God and going to his tabernacle and serving him forever. And I come to preach tonight or today to somebody that you are in this house. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's sins. Maybe it's mistakes. Maybe it's failures. But for most of us, it's just life. The process of time. And through the process of time, we've grown away from that joy of his salvation. You know that feeling you felt when you first got the Holy Ghost? That feeling you first felt when God filled you with his spirit? That you wanted to tell everybody! David is saying, Lord, I know it's not the 50th year right now. But I'm not looking for material possessions. I'm reaching into a spiritual moment. God, could you jubilee my joy? Could you restore unto me the joy? God, could you click the rewind button to when I first got the Holy Ghost? Somebody lift up your hands and let's pray. There are people here today that God wants to click the rewind button in your life with your walk with God. And he wants to restore unto you the joy of his salvation. I'm talking about the joy of living for God. I'm talking about the joy of just, I'm excited to come to church. The joy of I can't wait to sing worship and praise unto my God. The joy of coming to the altar. The joy of praying. The joy of fasting. The joy of telling somebody else about what Jesus has done for you. There's a jubilee in this house. And God is going to restore it all. Joel 2 and 25, the Bible says, And I will restore unto you the years that the locust hath eaten, and the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm. My great army which I sent among you, and you shall eat in plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, that hath dwelt wondrous with you, wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. Can I tell you what happens as a direct result of a jubilee? of a restoration moment God restores you but he also restores unto you years that you feel like you've wasted and immediately the response to restoration the Bible says they begin to praise their God they begin to love their God and my people shall never be ashamed I want to open up this altar would you come and pray Today is one of those moments, one of those services where like the book of Revelations 2, you can go back to your first works. David, go back to your first love. It wasn't the throne. It wasn't the people. It wasn't Bathsheba. It wasn't your mistakes. It wasn't your kingdom or your kids. Your first joy, your first love was the almighty God. Somebody lift up your voice and pray. There is a restoration that's going to happen in this building and a result of restoration is going to be worship. It's going to be praise. When you leave this house today, when you come back on Wednesday, there's going to be a joy you haven't felt in years because you let God restore unto you. You couldn't afford to buy it back. You couldn't do it. But God is blowing the trumpet in your life. There's a restoration 
restoration, David. You can pray for it. You can ask for it. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Would you pray all across this building? Come on, where's your joy in living for God? Where's your excitement? Where's your exuberance? Where's that desire to just serve God with everything you have? Has it dissipated? Has it has it disappeared? Have you gone in debt? You don't have it anymore. You can rebuild with the Holy Ghost, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. Come on, there's a restoration in this house of joy, of love, of peace. Come on, all those years, all that time, it's not wasted. God presses the rewind button as if you never lost it. He presses the rewind button in your life as if it never faded. God presses the rewind button and says, don't worry, David. You're still a man after my own heart. Come on, somebody needs to lift up their voice and pray right now. Come on, you remember what it was like when you first got the Holy Ghost. You need to let God refill you with the Holy Ghost so you can have that joy back again. So you can have that peace back again. Right now, in the name of Jesus. The joy of his salvation's coming. It might have been 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 30 years ago. But you ought to say, God, take me back to that moment. Rewind my mind back to that moment.